Why are you acting like you ain't got skin in the game? My name is Matthew Kroll. And with the right white man, you can accomplish anything. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Black Klansman. k k k Three k k Black k k There we go. Who is Black Klansman? That's not what it's... Oh, okay. You watch the movie. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> um, we are we are back for another action packed non non uh, request episode. Yes, we requested this. Well, we, I requested this. Yeah, what did you request? We this? both requested. We it. both requested this one. Uh, yeah, it's been fun, kind of recapping, doing all those listener requests. But we are kind of coming to the end of them now. But they are popular, so I think we're gonna have to. Well, we got one more. We yeah. got one more that I put in late in the game that we have to get done, and we'll, the, the Cornetto trilogy will be coming. A long, a long request. I, I, the only thing with the Cornetto trilogy is I feel like we've covered it. We, we'll find. I think what we should do, yeah, is we should find interesting points that we know we haven't discussed about each film as we sort of go through them. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it won't be so much like I mean, we we do more discussions than reviews anyway, um, but the, the I think it's going to be more of like like getting into some nitty gritty that maybe people haven't thought about a lot. If you have specific questions about the Cornado trilogy that you would like us to answer or discuss, please yeah. email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. That's I think has actually been a useful framing device is uh, we always go back to whoever requested the film and ask them to kind of give us a specific context yeah. that they want us to kind of think about. Um, so I'm a little bit of a loss for the Canada trilogy, to be honest with you, at this point. I guess I haven't I haven't rewatched them at this point. So, but you have my copy. I do have your copy, and they're sitting in my <laughs> they're sitting in my living room under a pile of other things that I have to watch. Uh, but I will come to them eventually. What I did come to though was something that I was very excited about. Jesus, and that was not oh. our Lord and Savior. No, okay, that was our my Lord and Savior. <laughs> Who's that? Spike Lee. Ah, uh, we talked about Spike Lee a little bit before on our Crooklyn episode. Yes, please go back and listen to that. I yeah, that was a that was a fun one. That was a fun one a while back now. Um, but it is uh, it is uh, it, it has been a while since actually I have seen a Spike Lee movie. Uh, in the movie theaters mm -hmm. as it's being released, and this is one that has come with much, uh, with much uh, hype and celebration surrounding it. It obviously won the Grand Prix prize mm -hmm. at the uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, um, and uh, is is produced uh, as well noted in the title sequence uh, by one Jordan Peele, who actually commissioned the project to Spike Lee. So Spike Lee is obviously the elder statesman in this relationship, sure. uh, statesman in this relationship. But uh, Jordan Peele reached out to him and said, "Hey, I have this book." Uh, uh, Black Klansman, you know, uh, about Ron Stallworth, the person, the only person to have infiltrated, <laughs> the only African-American man to have infiltrated the, the <laughs> Ku Klux Klan. And uh, would you, Spike Lee, the stalwart of African-American cinema, of the, the probably most notable pop icon uh, when it comes to cinema in American history, would you like to write this film? Jordan Peele being the first-time screenwriter who won uh, his first Oscar just recently. Mm -hmm. So it's, that, that is an unusual relationship in my opinion. But I think it's nice. I think it's a little bit of um, new guard, old guard uh, sort of respect in a, in a in a nice way. Yeah, I I I, I, I think so as well. I uh, think that's um, I don't know. I think the the it, we'll talk about it when we get into this film. But there there are moments in Black Klansmen that um, I feel like 
never get to obviously a place of either get out or even a place of sorry to bother you. Right. But uh, there, there, it's almost like there's a lot of sort of setup for that, and then it gets a little bit knocked back to sort of a more. Um, I don't know if real realism. I don't know what the word is. I think we'll we'll categorize it as Spike Leeness. Yeah, there there'll you be go. Some, there'll be some there Spike Leeness of yep. it. Uh, Spike Lee again. You know, uh, I've talked about his impact on me as a filmmaker. Uh, I think there is one summer where I watched Do the Right Thing maybe twenty times. Uh, I just I, I owned it. And on then VH. did you? Uh, what's that? Did you do the, did you did, do the, do the right, right thing? thing? Absolutely not. Oh. I have not done the right thing since. Okay. Um. Uh. I. <laughs> no. If I if doing the right thing is not throwing the garbage can through the window, I sure. definitely didn't do that. So yeah, there's that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but 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 to this point, uh, do the right thing is a film that I've owned in every media every media format that I am currently you know is currently the centerpiece of of whatever system I have. Right, right, right. So I've owned it on VHS, I've owned it on DVD, and I now own it on Blu-ray. I'm sure I'll own it on a 4K UHD digital file at some point. It's a movie I absolutely adore. Um, there was a sort of a strange thing um, with me, which is that. I became an enormous fan of Spike Lee living in New Zealand, fairly isolated from the pol- uh, the the cultural iconography of who Spike right. Lee is. So I didn't really know much about Mars Blackman, his 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 character um, from School Days, and and the fact that that got translated into a commercial property with uh, with Michael Jordan. Uh, I didn't know much about you know like uh, Spike Lee speaking in public, and you know he was often asked about. Uh, current political events, and he would often say things that are fairly incendiary. Um, and so I just kind of avoided all of that. And when I moved to uh, the United States for the first time, and I was like, oh, you know, who are your favorite filmmakers? And I was like, Spike Lee. And I would hear people say, oh, that asshole. And I'd be like, oh, wait, what? You know, like, because all, all I saw were the movies. Right. And I was in, and there was no way I could, I, I would think that if anyone watched just the movies, you could potentially think of that asshole Spike Lee. Right. Uh, I would just think, what a genius filmmaker. Uh, but apparently, as I was soon to discover, that um, that there is a there is there are people, <laughs> yeah, uh, a fairly substantial in their numbers, who am, uh, are not as enamored by by one Mr. Lee as I am. Sure. Um, we we spoke briefly about this. What well, just just for recapping your history with Spike Lee, or what do you think about him? Not a ton. I've I've the films I've seen of his I have enjoyed. Though there's always been a bit of well, let let's put it this way. I've always really liked the message more than the filmmaking behind it. If that okay. sort of makes sense. Um, the not to say that it's 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 bad in any way. It's just it's not sort of my uh, I don't know how to put it. Like I, I can I can use this one example from from Black Klansman. Like this in some of the sort of I'll just call it like we quoted it Spike Leeness. Mm. I particularly uh, didn't really um, gel with the editing of okay. this film, and a lot of times certain choices that were meant to I think make an audience member feel a certain way about with through a cut or a quick you know something or other. Uh, it, oftentimes I felt like I thought I knew what they were going for, and it felt a little forced and then it knocked me a little bit back again didn't derail me uh from enjoying this film in any way well in in a in a, in a uh, what's the word i'm looking for in, in a, a negative way in a substantial way right. in a way that would ruin the entire experience right but um i've noticed that throughout a little bit uh although for instance crooklyn uh i didn't have that problem with yeah crooklyn um, is a pretty pretty it's a pretty warm film I guess. It's, a, it's a warm film and it's not it's i don't think it's 
it's the it's not so concerned with style because its style is warmth if that right. makes uh if that makes any sense so um I don't know. I've I've always when a new one comes out, I I always sort of I'm like, yes, I will see that. And when I heard about this, uh, the story to me sounded insanely fascinating. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's something that's literally kind of half out of a Dave Chappelle sketch. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm like? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the racist the, black guy, the blind, or, yeah. the blind uh, black the guy who black. joins the yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, when I was like, this is a thing, like this is a thing that sort of, I mean, based on a true story and there's a book and, and, and all that jazz, I was like, holy, and I, I'm like, I need to see this story. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you hear all the praise and et cetera that the film has gotten. And uh, I mean, you throw uh, Jordan Peele's name on something and right. I'm all like, you're literally just stacking the deck for me to be like, yeah, I'm seeing this in the theater. Side note. <laughs> Um, I am canceling my movie pass. I forgot to do it beforehand, but I'm going to cancel it probably right after this, right after this episode. I, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, disagree with that, with that choice. Because I, uh, they, I just, I'll get back to how this affected Black Klansmen and my experience in a second, but they were, they emailed me a while ago saying like, oh, by the way, you've enrolled in the new version of blah, 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 which mm-hmm. was like three movies a month and you don't get to pick them. And I'm like, what? Uh, mm-hmm. no. I was like, is there another option? And mm-hmm. they're like, no and i was like okay so i was like well let's see yeah. so then i tried to see eighth grade and you can check out our eighth grade uh review. i couldn't i couldn't check into eighth grade no with, uh, with movie Pass. and it's so funny because they're like oh we're doing it to sort of help smaller films and yeah. i was like you, no you're not you're yeah. doing it arbitrarily to limit the amount of money you have to pay for movie tickets yeah. so and then the same exact thing you i couldn't and these are both matinees yeah I, which would save them money yeah uh, I couldn't see Black Klansman either. It was, it was. Yeah, I, I, I had the same experience with both of those films, um, and I tweeted at them. Yeah, and they did the same thing uh, that they always do. They're like, "Please get a customer service." Da, 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 da. So I'm just like, <laughs> "That's better than what I got." I, I tweeted at them and got nothing. Really? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, uh, I think the whole. Uh, I think it's over. I think uh, R.I.P. Movie Pass. I don't want to be bitter at them though. Like I know, we, I know we've just taken a side tangent away from Black Klansman for a second, but let's stay on this side tangent for just a second. Yeah, sure. I don't want to be bitter at MoviePass. They were an experiment that they that that I thoroughly loved and enjoyed while it lasted. Uh, the economics of it has meant that they can't sustain it, and that is entirely their fault. And they should have considered that. And they've been wanting to try and figure a way out of that. But but their their uh, their maneuvering. Their business maneuvering in the last few weeks has left a lot to be desired. They basically changed their plan like three or four times at this point. Yeah, there's no uh, consistency, which which does not uh, signal very well for uh, what they're trying to do. Um, I, I do. I think I mentioned this in a, whenever the last episode we talked about Movie Pass was. Uh, I think they're the little company that could when that tried and maybe didn't make it over the finish line, but maybe. If we're lucky, we'll open the gates uh, for other people to try and challenge the 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 pricing, the way we think about movie ticketing pricing. Well, for instance, the AMC Gold member, Platinum, whatever the heck thing is pretty much worth it. I mean, especially for someone like us that sees about four movies at least in the theater a month. Yeah, I, I guess I would hope that an independent company that is not AMC or Regal would come in and try to... Ch- Figure out a way to challenge their pricing. Maybe, and I, look, I like that Movie Pass sort of did that, but they also came in with the um, what is it, the the BDE, the Big Dick Energy of right. Silicon yeah. Valley, yeah. and uh, they swung around so hard and like basically the. It's funny if they reacted differently. 
I wouldn't be as sort of bitter about the entire process. I'm not even saying, even if the experiment failed and they say, hey, we had a good run, we tried really hard or something, or, or you know, they tried something different. But the fact that you can really see at this point that, quote, bear is driving, a.k.a. no one knows how to drive this fucking car. Right. It's just a giant grizzly bear just turning it as fast as it can like Chris Farley. <laughs> um, the the It's just really, it, and it's set. I can't stand corporate lingo that's trying to make Things that it takes away from you sound like good things, right? And 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 it's and particularly poorly written and poorly planned stuff. What they could have done, and I don't have their finances, so I don't know this entirely. You know what I would have done? I would have paid twenty dollars a right. month, and that honestly, if 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 doubling your revenue from let's say eighty percent of your base it won't save you, then you don't deserve to be there anyway, right? Like. And instead, they tried nickel and diming and make it confusing and like basically trying to make like DLC for movie tickets. Yeah, and it's and it was insane. And and they had plenty of times to back up. Anyway, uh, Movie Pass, thank you very much for your service. You will no longer be uh, <laughs> you'll, no longer. you'll not be required. Um, just coming back to uh, Spike Lee a little bit, the the one thing I wanted to know before coming into into um, Black Klansman is that I have definitely fallen off the Spike Lee train of late. I think the last sort of movie of his that I saw in the theater was Inside Man. Um, I caught Old Boy in a in a re, you know uh, online at some point. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I tried my heart. I really, I really gave it everything I had to try and finish Chirac. Uh, with with very little success, and I was not uh, I was not enamored by that film, not enamored by Old Boy, um, and his smaller films like the the Sweet Blood of Jesus and uh, Red Hook Summer were just things I just didn't quite come around to to seeing. Now it might be the case that 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 you know Spike Lee is um, an interesting guy in that he. You know, his contemporaries around the similar periods were Steven Soderbergh, for one. Right. Um, you know, a person who met a great financial success along with great artistic independence. And I think Spike Lee has been struggling with that equation. Um, and I, I don't know what the, what the ramifications of it are, but there seems to be a little bit of a... Uh, I don't know how I would describe this again because I have so much respect for this man as a filmmaker and so how much he's meant for me. But I wonder if there's a little bit of a feeling, and I would feel this way if I was him, uh, of of um, of anger at the fact that he is not as celebrated as 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 he should be. I mean, he is one of the most important filmmakers to come out of the 21st century. He is he is he means more to American cinema than most people ever will, and to kind of consider that, you know, like he's been making these sort of low budget movies where he's struggling to get financing together. He's piecing together, you know, the remnants of old boy, which is just a kind of a cash grab of a movie and not enjoying like the, the, the fruits of his labor kind of, I, I think I would be a little bit bitter about that at this point, given how important he is to American cinema. Now, the other side of that is, um, and it is the criticism that I kind of missed out on by not being in, sure. in America is that he has got a little bit of an ego on him. He's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder on him. You know, he kind of it comes out in his films sometimes as well. Um, his his sort of balance between um, the polemic versus the actual narrative or, or or you know the structure of the story he's trying to tell often you know wanes and varies in in time. So I and I think that'll play into my response to Black Klansman. Um, but, but again, despite having fallen off the train and not 
generally, I would have to say, not being as excited by a Spike Lee joint coming out, I still hold the man in high regard. Sure, you and know, that's like, totally. I mean, I think. Um, no, no. I, How do I? You know, think of John Carpenter, for example. I, yeah, that was. You could say John Carpenter. I was even going to go. Uh, you can see the inklings, and it could go either way. Even with Spielberg, to a certain point, at this point, and again, this is taking nothing away. Spielberg has been highly celebrated. Though. I think that's, I, no, no, that's no, the I difference. Know, no, I know. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, as far as like not being as Jonesed on their newer properties, right? Um, and it's because I, I mean. I do okay. I do think it is due to, and it's going to happen to us all. We just hope that it happens the latest that it possibly can. Like as you sort of get older, you I think will you, you might not be as good at things that you used to be good at. That's a super oversimplification, and there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, fucking Mad Max. I mean, yeah, you George, know, Miller. George Miller, <laughs> 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 the exception to the rule. Right. But like. Um, I think a lot of the greats from the time that this is that you know Spike Lee sort of came up during are sort of hitting that time in their lives where they get to make sort of more more personal films that have to be smaller that might not be as you know critically acclaimed or successful or they have to or they have to take to do those movies they have to take things like Old Boy or a Ready Player One or something where it's like just a big budget thing that they could put their uh relative you know yeah. their notoriety toward yeah um i and i don't think um i because I, I i haven't to be honest i don't follow the the oeuvre not the oeuvre uh the the outside of cinema oeuvre of spike lee i've heard you know he can be difficult from time to time but who who can't, can't be, be yeah. um and you know, uh, I've never really paid much attention to it, even while growing up in this country and being a <laughs> yeah. cinephile and watching stuff. I've just sort of um, he—I've never seen him. I guess I maybe I should pay more attention, or maybe I shouldn't pay more attention. I don't quite know. I just think um, he's always been a filmmaker that has interested me, even when he his stuff doesn't blow me away. Right. Um, that was a roundabout way of saying. I like him, <laughs> but with that tone in my voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I, him. I mean, and and just to 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 jump into the actual reason why I think I personally responded to him, uh, I you know like I I I I was the only brown person in many situations. Was, right. <laughs> there was one other guy, but you know we were like we were in the minority. And Spike Lee, for me personally, allowed me to think about my outsiderness as important. Yes. Like uh, you know we talked about this in our race and representation episode. Uh, seeing uh, there's a sequence in, in Malcolm X where uh, Malcolm uh, meets another uh, a, a member from the, the the Nation of Islam who tells him to like how to read the dictionary sure. and how to look at the way black is represented in the dictionary versus the, the way white is represented in the dictionary. And again, my experience is not anywhere near the same experience as African Americans in, mm -hmm. in America, but it allowed me to kind of think about my outsiderness in a way that was empowering. And that's why I think it's, you know, that's why I think he's important. And, and he has, you know, uh, there are other um, filmmakers who have done that, but, but who, who haven't made as much of an impact, as, as much of an impact as he is, you know, he, sure. is, he is known to be a, a superb marketer uh, of his own work. So, yes. so for, you know, I think there's this, uh, maybe I guess what I'm getting at is the sense that he is not as celebrated. No. Uh, you know what I mean? But one thing I will say uh, is 
and I don't want to ruin anything until sort of we're done. We're near sort of the end of the, the discussion of the film. Um, but it's funny. He takes whatever frown that I just sort of described of like, you know, engaging with his work. Yeah. And doesn't so much turn it upside down, but if it's a if it's a faucet, he turns it into a fire hose and uses the sort of unwieldiness that I've sort of seen in a lot of sort of Spike Lee-ness in his films yeah. to the utmost of his advantage, making something that is incredibly poignant and and uh, visceral and engaging and emotionally resonant. Um, kind of out of left field, and the out of left fieldness of it really sort of sells it even more for me. Right. So we'll get to that in a little bit. So it's almost like the stuff that normally, like it's almost like the stuff that's normally like coming out at a normal flow that bothers me about some of his work. Yeah. He just instead just starts cranking the wheel <laughs> yeah. and it just blows the friggin' nozzle off. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. I'm like, this is fucking, like this is good. This <laughs> is some great, this is a great fucking decision. Right. Um. So So tell us a little bit about what Black Klansman other than, than we've described as a, 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 a Dave Chappelle skit come to life. Uh, well, that was a very <laughs> loose adaptation. Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan with the help of a white surrogate who eventually becomes head of the local branch. That is the IMDb description. Yep. Um, it's true. Exactly. Um, it's well. It kind is, of focuses a little bit. Actually, part of that might be a little false. No, there is a. There's something I want to come to come to later. I don't know if you'd heard about Boots Riley's re response to this film. I I heard something. Okay, so Boots Riley wrote a three page uh, Twitter essay, which whatever that means. Um, but but basically. <laughs> Uh, put out his thoughts on it, and I think I want to I want to table that for a second and come to that. But but in terms of the the truthiness of this whole thing, sure, uh, we'll we'll come to that discussion at some point because it's a it, I think it's an interesting topic. But initial initial reactions to this film, uh, just you, and you, I think you know I saw this about a week ago. You saw this just I saw today. this morning, yeah. So just give us your kind of initial feedback just walking out of the theater thinking about this movie um i kind of even want to take it a step back to that i was engaged with what was going on in this story throughout the entire thing right um even through moments where i was a little bit um confused or something felt like it was off or an edit bothered me i was a hundred percent glued to the what will happen next aspect of of this tale right um i think that the the performances honestly really did get me uh I think the most out of all the out of all of the things. Obviously, um uh John David Washington, who plays Denzel Jr. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh but he used to be a football player, right? Uh I don't know about that. He plays a football player in Ballos. I could have sworn he actually was a football player. Uh I, I would I don't know enough about him other than he uh was he does play a football player on bowlers. Yeah, well maybe I'm mixing <laughs> maybe I'm mixing up my realities. Maybe I need to get out of my apartment more. <laughs> but um I was uh, uh, sort of enamored with his take on this on this person. You sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you were correct. He, oh, he good. Was, he was allocated to the NFL Europe uh, and playing for the Hamburg Sea Devils. Thank you uh, in the two thousand seven season as a running block. Thank right. you for. <laughs> getting that because i would feel awful if i was mistaking real life with the <laughs> dwayne the rock johnson hbo vehicle ballers yeah no, um the, I, the most realistic show on television if you told me that i i wouldn't have believed you but yeah apparently no you're 100 correct and uh, was signed to the st louis rams uh after going undrafted in the 2006 nfl draft yeah yeah there we go there you go so yes 
Score. Yeah. I knew a sports thing. <laughs> um, but he uh, he did fantastic. Um, and he he carried this thing. I feel like obviously on his back for for me anyway. Uh, Adam Driver was good, but yeah. Adam Driver felt like Adam Driver always feels like he's always good. Right. I was super impressed with um, Laura Harrier, who the last time I saw her uh, was in Spider-Man: Homecoming as a very different character. Right. And I didn't realize it till about two thirds through the film that it was the same actress, and that to me is like. Because again, in when she was Liz Allen in Spider-Man: Homecoming, they gave her jack shit to do. Right. Uh, and here she had a lot to do. So right. uh, I I always like being surprised by an actor or an actress that I see in a film I've seen a film before and might have sort of dismissed as sort of like a bit part or a secondary character, like blow my fucking socks off in another film. Right. And, and this sort of happened here. I think. Um, and then other than the editing thing. And and the beginning, the, it's funny. For as well as I think the end worked, yeah. that we'll get into later, the beginning confused the shit out of me. So there's an Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a minor spoiler. It's in the first five minutes of the film. It open well. It opens. It opens with, with something uh, with, very with, with a scene from Gone with the Wind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the final scene from Gone with the Wind, and then and then cut to uh, a sequence where Alec Baldwin's character is playing a. Uh, anti-miscegenation kind of preacher or something like that. He plays Dr. Uh, Ken Brew Beauregard, uh, which I'm not, I don't think is a real I don't know if it's a real person. person. This is going to be, this is going to be an interesting, difficult conversation for us to have without, sometimes without knowing the historical context. Uh, yes. But, but I think that is, that is one of those situations where I was like, I'm not sure if that's a real person and then how that's connected to this. Yes. Other than the overall thematic through line of a history of racism. Right. This a history is, of deeply ingrained racism. Yeah. Um, that threw me for a bit of a loop because there was some of it still playing for comedy during mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. there were like outtakes and like him saying the wrong word or trying to get the right emphasis. The right emphasis. The right emphasis. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, and that, so like it, it knocked me a little bit back and I wasn't quite sure the tone the movie was going to take. In fact, the first 25 minutes I wasn't quite sure the tone like does it want me to laugh at parts does it want me to be on the edge of my seat does it want me to be stoward and sort of like you know thoughtful while watching uh and I think my audience that I was with too didn't Again, it was a, a, a matinee audience on a Monday. Right. But, like, I don't think they knew because, like, sometimes people would laugh at parts and I was like, are you what? Yeah. And then other times something would be really funny and no one, I don't know. It was, um, it was a, it was an, it was an experience that I couldn't sort of take my mind off of even when the edit hiccups happened for me. Yeah. Um, describe the edit hiccups for me. There was a lot of, um, double taking. Mm hmm. That, that's uh, which a, that's I've seen, sort of, yeah, it's sort spike. of a bit of his style, and yeah. I've never liked it. Right. Uh, and again, that's just me. I, yeah. I don't know. But like when it's it's the equivalent of someone shaking my chair and whispering in my in my ear, hey, Spike Lee made this. And I'm like, I, I know. <laughs> um, it, so it, every time, it's always just a little bit of a, and I'm I'm back in. But I, it's not a, it a mistake. It's just a choice. Oh, no, no, no. Right? It's a choice. I'm not saying it's a mistake. He didn't, right. No one made mistakes here. Right. Uh, it's just an edit choice that I don't particularly uh, like. Yeah. Um, and because, I, I mean, I started my career as an editor, I, I just, I don't know. I think sometimes it, that's ruined sort of things like that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even think it's a detriment to anyone's. I, I think I, it could be incredibly effective to people that aren't sort of receptive to it or yeah. receive it in a different way um but i i think I, I overall i was enamored by the story itself i think more than the filmmaking behind the story until the very end we'll have to talk about the very very end yeah at, at some what point. about you 
Um, I'm gonna. I think I'm taking the exact opposite route to you, which is that. Oh, that's a shocker. Yeah. Uh, which is that I am uh, always in favor of Spike Lee's uh, cinema. Um, his his cinematic lo- language. Sure. I think he is. He is uh, a master of the cinematic language in every way. He is uh, completely in command of how to edit, how to put shots together, how to uh, create sequences that are powerful and dynamic. Uh, what I, I have been less enamored with over time is how that is employed to stories that I think... I often at times feel like Spike Lee is less interested in the actual narrative than he is in the political idea behind the narrative and focusing on that. So case in point is the um, is the opening sequence... W- well, not the opening sequence, sorry. <laughs> sort of the, the inciting incident where um, where Ron is t- asked to um, to visit a, uh, a, a black... Uh, a black socialist rally yep. uh, where uh, Kumari, um, sorry, the uh, activist names was uh, Kwame Ture yep. is going to be speaking. And there is this beautiful, absolutely, I was like, oh, this is Spike, you got me here. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you had me at hello. Um, but there are these beautiful moments uh, where uh, we're hearing uh, Kwame uh, speak and he's delivering his entire political message. And we cut to these like beautiful triptych uh, shots that are uh, that mm-hmm. are composited of the audience listening in absorbing what's being said and seeing that it actually is resonating it takes hold and it's the the idea that the message is the seed is being planted for a greater message um, and the question that we're asking ourselves narratively there is how much is Ron Stallworth kind of absorbing this yeah and is this actually making an impact on him you know just because he's there as a usurper in some way he's there to kind of infiltrate he's undercover to, uh, to infiltrate infiltrate this group um and i think that is an example of spike lee at the height of his powers you know he is he is using uh an editing technique that he is that is a uh, almost entirely if not filtered through his own language through his own language style um entirely unique to what he does um to 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 bring out the power of that speech mm-hmm. I think when the film gets into the sort of mechanics of how we, how this guy infiltrated the group, like even how he kind of made the decision to infiltrate the group. That was the weirdest part. It, it, it feels very loose, a little bit loosey-goosey. I feel like the ending when, when, when we get to kind of the, the, the sort of final heavy beats of what is about to happen feel very loosey-goosey to me. Um, there's, a, there's a musical choice. He's, he's always been excellent in music, and the composer here is Terrence Blanchard, who's someone he's worked with a number of times. Uh, but I found the score to just be um, not... Spike Lee's really good at heavy-handed scores. He's mm-hmm. really good at scores that like that are overpowering. But this was overpowering and, and simultaneously underwhelming. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a loud, you know, thumping score that I just didn't want to hear any more of and I didn't feel contribute to the story in sort of any way that was meaningful. Um, and it led me to kind of be grated by the actual narrative of what this story is. But on the flip side of that is whenever Spike gets into the political, like whenever he's really trying to connect what is happening in this film to the everyday, uh, to today, and and where he's connecting very clearly the reason he wants to make this yes. film 
that's when the film lands absolutely for me. Highly that, effective. Yeah, that's that. You know, when 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 a character says, you know, uh, one day we're gonna we want to we want to infiltrate the public to let them accept the ideas of the cl- of the Ku Klux Klan, and not by wearing hoods, but by being gentlemen, by being, uh, you know, men and great. That's what David Duke is. Yeah. And one day we'll get a man in the White House. You know exactly. You know what Spike Lee oh, is talking yeah. about, and there's and two or three moments like that that just are are smooth and solid. Into just it's like a, a square peg into a square hole, just yeah, very it, like. Shunk. That's what he does, and that's what you know, and and of course, um, without giving away spoilers, we will have to talk about the absolute ending of this film, uh, which is which does exactly that thing that I'm talking about, which is the the connection with this narrative. I I feel like the the issue here is that. Um, for for Spike Lee, the narrative is a gateway to get to this bigger conversation about why does the Klan exist today, and yeah. and and as a result, the actual who done it, the mechanics, the the operational mechanics of this procedural, this cop procedural gets a little lost for me. I, I'm I'm not that I'm not quite there with it, and I and I feel I found it a little clunky. I think the beginning and the end of that narrative are super clunky. Yeah. Um, I think, like, for instance, I don't even remember, and I saw this this morning. Yeah. Um, and it was with a film I was very engaged with. I don't remember how, after infiltrating the 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 first thing we talked about, the first speech, yeah. the, the beautiful scene that we you discussed, mm-hmm. um, how he gets from that to just calling and trying to join the KKK. And I think it's literally he's reading a newspaper and sees an article for it, and he just decides to do it. Yeah. And to me, like, for, again, and, and, and we're seeing more and more films not quite follow the three-act structure that we're so uh, tethered to, and this definitely does that. Yeah. It... It feels out of left field, and then it just goes that direction. It's just like it's literally sees something that interests it, and it moves. And then when that story wraps up, yeah, there's like five or ten minutes at the end before the real end that I think is supposed to maybe lull you into a sense of like this is a happy ending story, yay, and da 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 da. But it almost gives it a little too saccharine. Where you, I, I, I knew I was being buttered up for something. Yeah, and boy, oh boy. Yeah, we uh, where was I? Was I sla- what Paula Dean would have loved me. Right, fully slathered. Yeah. Um, but this is also um, now. I, I want to talk about this Boots Riley thing before we get into spoilers. Because, sure. Because. Um, the thing that Boots Riley, so Boots Riley is the director of Sorry to Bother You, someone we, someone we talked about just very recently, someone whose whose film shares a kind of more of a psychic connection to um, to uh, Black Klansmen in that there is in some way uh, a continuing conversation about uh, white voice yep. uh, and, and and the 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 kind of uh, false implication of of uh, what black people sound like versus what white people sound like. The, this is the Dante's Peak and Volcano of white voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think this is the more of the... Uh, uh, the Armageddon or Deep Impact of no, white voice. I'm trying to think of a, 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 uh, the true story. L- like, imagine uh, uh, a South Park came out and... Th- no, I'm trying to... Th- there's there's got to be examples of this, the uh, cinematic examples of this, where, like, a movie's being made and then somebody comes out and says, now you want to know the real story? You know, like, this is the actual scientific oh, proof about how it happened? Yeah. I think this is kind of more of that. You know, we're like, sorry to bother you, there's this, this, this wonderful pastiche, and then, like, 
Black Klansman comes out a few weeks later and is like, well, this is the true story <laughs> of how it really works. I mean, I don't think it's intentional, but no. it kind of, it just, they came out in it's the same It's so period. interesting that the zeitgeist, though, do work that way, both with film topics and film, yeah. even minor things or major actual movie structures. Like, yeah. it's hilarious. So, but but Boots's main criticism is something that I think you speak to, uh, you just spoke to with the ending of this film, um, which has to do with this idea that Ron Stallworth is the hero of this film. And it's something that Boots Riley in this Twitter feed vehemently disagrees with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and it comes to the connection with uh, the, the, the infiltration of black socialist groups or black uh, activist groups uh, and how Ron Stallworth was there to kind of... He wasn't there to, to gather intelligence. He was there to... Well, in Boots' estimation, yes. um, and as played out by evidence, he's just from the Koi Intel Pro uh, investigations mm-hmm. uh, was was to basically use uh, to 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 basically disrupt these groups, but he wasn't there to disrupt white uh, groups like like the Klan. Um, and so he Boots makes the suggestion that the film is historically inaccurate. Now, I don't you know uh, we've talked about historical inaccuracy previously on this podcast. I have no issue with like historical liberties being taken. Mm. Uh, but w- and, and and Boots Riley at the top of the CSA kind of says, you know, he's got no issue with people making historical liberties. What he does have an issue with is recasting people in a light that he doesn't believe is accurate to what they actually were. So he didn't like The Greatest Showman. Uh, I have not seen The Greatest Showman, <laughs> but I've heard P.T. Barnum can be kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and not at all Hugh Jackman-like. No. Um, so so he basically has the, makes the suggestion that... that that the the way Black Klansman operates lulls us into the sense of of thinking that police officers and and what the police what the police institutions were doing back in the nineteen seventies was all positive and for the for the betterment of removing the Ku Klux Klan from from society. And what he's what he's saying is that is not the case. Yeah. Um. And that and that recasting. Uh, things that Ron Stallworth did in that light uh, is entirely misguided. Uh, and this is from someone like me who is an absolute fan of Spike Lee, uh, who is someone who, you know, like he basically says at the beginning, look, I, the only reason I make films is because of Spike Lee. Yeah. Um, and, and to have to say that uh, and to, you know, but, but he, he's very... Um, he's very passionate about this point, and I think it's something that we really... I, I want to read excerpts from this essay um, uh, as we get into spoilers, but it is an important point to note that the uh, the sense of being lulled, the sense of feeling like the narrative is a, is a little bit loosey-goosey uh, isn't something that is purely coincidental. Um, the, the facts have been played with a little bit here, and the question for us is, have those facts been played with in a way that is... Um, uh, disingenuous to what this film is trying to say. Um, I think. Well, I think it's so funny that you even brought up that Spike Lee's normally more more interested in the political message of his that his films might normally um, orbit around um, than the actual films themselves. And I do agree with that. And I think this movie, especially the way it ends, even the before the real ending and then the real ending, a hundred percent. I mean, that's blatant, yeah. of yeah. course. Um, so. liberties on historical characters in film or in history like this is the weird part i i I, you know it's funny uh i was uh, in my travels Mm -hmm. um i was in um hoboken yesterday right and i saw yet the umpteenth 
uh, billionth statue of Christopher Columbus right. in a park. Right. And I'm like, this motherfucker is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why the fuck is Christopher Columbus everywhere? Like, and you look at the, you know, the the winners write the history books, and yeah. you sort of kind of, you, you know, eventually maybe stuff will come to light about how absolutely terrible Christopher Columbus, uh, at at best, just his practices, but at worst, his demeanor in person himself was, and yet we have almost deified him in in statuary and and tales when we're when we're young. The the one person to look at here is Ridley Scott who made the film 1492 A Conquest of Paradise uh, yeah. about Christopher Columbus which in no way paints him in the way we've learned about him ever since. Of course. So, um that to me when 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 historical context is ejected from a narrative in in the story of Christopher Columbus that i think is entirely detrimental and that's a that's a um that is a example of it damaging society as a whole because then we're stuck with a bunch of fucking statues of a fucking uh, genocidal monster right. <laughs> in parks and kids learn that he's just a nice man who found america by accident yeah um whereas and I can't speak to this particular story behind Black Klansmen because, um, because I don't know the history behind it. But I'm trying to think of a a and maybe Boots when you start reading some of the stuff, it might clear it up. But um, so if if um he, he the main character is painted in a or let's not even go the main character, let's go the police the police in the 70s in this town, right? It is painted in a better light than they were. Is it? Is it better in this day and age? I don't know the answer to this. Is it better that they are painted in that light and such a divisive sort of sectional, like section of characters in this film? That way, people that are seeing it are seeing more of the issues of the fucking evil people, aka the Ku Klux, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. Right. Um, whereas if there was a more gray area or even saying all sides are bad mm-hmm. uh would that take away then from the punch and the sort of hope of the of the the hope that it gets ripped away from you from the punch at the end of the film like is it a, is it an actionable choice and is if it's done for the greater good yeah is it is it worthwhile right. and is it is it um just Right. Um, I, I think it could be, though I don't know in this particular film because I don't know the history behind it enough. I think that's for people who know the the history more to uh, to decide, not me. Right. And and I think I I think it's an interesting conversation to have. So let, uh, let we're going to jump into spoilers here. But I think I what I what, what I really want to talk about in terms of spoilers is not actually specifics in the film, but but talk about the connection with this film, uh, which is a historical film, and present day, which is clearly the inciting reason that Spike Lee wants to make this film. And it, and yes. it operates on a couple of levels. Um, the first is, obviously, uh, it's something that I think I spoke about last year when we went when we talked about, uh, when we spoke about uh, Detroit. Yep. Catherine Bigelow's film, Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, the day I went to see Catherine Bigelow's film, Detroit, was the day that uh, our president, or the president... A, better. Pre- a president, yeah, uh, a president of the United States, uh, got up on stage uh, in a in a sort of in w- in one of the rare press conferences where he was uh, permitted to answer questions and said something along the lines of there were fine people on both sides yeah. of the Charlotte, Charlottesville attack, and there was something um, uh, you know whatever your politics are that was uh, nauseating about that for me. 
there was something that deeply disturbed me about it. There was something that deeply um, made me question a lot of things that day. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and, and we have had that conversation many times. That is the driving incident uh, uh, for, the, for the creation of this film, uh, for the creation of this film with Spike Lee at the helm. Yeah. Uh, when he won the Grand Prix uh, at, at uh, Cannes, he spoke very much about this issue. And I think um, there is a very, again, this is an example of the, the political versus the narrative in this film. There's a very powerful uh, moment in this film where um, we are, we are cross-cutting uh, between the uh, between uh, a black power uh, rally and a white power initiation, uh, discussing the lynching of Jesse Washington uh, versus uh, the 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 celebration of Birth of a Nation. Yeah, uh, D.W. Griffith's film, and it's very much this idea uh, where one group is saying black power, one group is saying white power, and and. We cannot, and I think Spike Lee is doing a very, very smart and powerful thing here and saying we cannot say that these two groups are very fine people on the same side. One is responding to horrible uh, atrocities that are that shake the very fundamental core of humanity. Yep. and the other is celebrating those very th that 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 kind of atrocity. Yeah, um so to you know, so, when someone at the at the head of government says something along the lines of there were very fine people on both sides and looks for this false equivalency, that is deeply troubling, disturbing, and and is absolutely the reason this film exists. Um, so so I want to talk very briefly about this idea of um, false equivalency and dual narrative. Yeah, um, and I think what this film. Uh, again, not from a um, not from a narrative point of view, from a political point of view. That's what this film is trying to do. It's trying to say, no, right now there is this sly kind of um, underhanded acceptance, uh, tacit uh, acceptance of white supremacy in America, uh, which used to be, I would say, probably uh, more implicit than it is now. Uh, yeah, more, more, more. Um, sorry. Under uh, the under uh, the uh, under the hood. The, yeah, is, yeah. And now the underbelly is yeah. now the overbelly. Yeah, and you're seeing things like Richard Spencer kind of getting talking points uh, <laughs> on uh, on mainstream political news. I only and, like it when he's punched in the face. Yeah, well, of course, you know. But 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 so we're seeing this kind of this sort of ex this this tacit acceptance, and I and this film is doing everything to say no. You cannot accept that. And I think, the, the, for me, uh, you know, just as, as a personal aside, um, there's a couple of things that I've seen that have been really interesting on Facebook, and it's the only reason I kind of stick on Facebook right now, is seeing certain people whom I've had friendships with who, who I'm sort of, you know, like very comfortable talking to suddenly ask the question, oh, what's so wrong with people, you know, like with listening to white supremacists at a, at a college campus? You know, like uh, freedom of speech should be allowed. And, you know, like I don't, I don't think that it's wrong to like allow these people to say those ideas because those ideas should be challenged in public. That's not, a, that's not a, um, uh, an unreasonable kind of idea. But I think what Spike Lee is trying to say is you have to, if you're coming to, you cannot be naive about, that argument to suggest that it is okay for a person to spout white supremacy as a potentially acceptable, uh, you know, philo philosophical idea, um, and and be accepting of of that in a in a public forum, and that's what Spike Lee is trying to say by 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 counter by by placing those two narratives together. Mm -hmm. On the one hand is the story of Jesse Washington, which is 
horrific. It, it, is, it is one of the most horrifying things I'd ever read. I, I kind of knew more about Emmett Till than I knew about J.C. Right. Washington. But, but to hear, the, you know, and that was in 1916, the, the sort of uh, acceptance of white supremacy, the acceptance of people seeing black lives as irrelevant um, cannot be tolerated. Uh, it, yeah. it should not be tolerated because it is dangerous. Um, and 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 what Spike is doing with the, with the very end of this film, the the final montage of this film, is saying we cannot let this abide. We cannot say there were fine people on the other side. We cannot accept that in any way. And and I think that is a powerful statement. Now, the, you know, the actual it, it's kind of sort of a a delivery mechanism is to get there is through this sort of narrative of this black Klansman and whether that is okay given that we're sort of accepting that, you know, as Boots Riley points out, that it might not be as accurate as we thought. And I think that's an interesting conversation to have. Sure. Um, so that's, I, that, that's where I really want to get to with spoilers for this. There are, there are other interesting spoiler topics, you know, that have to do with narrative. And one of them is like the, the final explosion. Sure. Which never happened. Oh, they just added that in. That 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 narrative because they needed a they needed an as, as far as it's never written in Stallworth's book. Yeah, it never happened. You know, the 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 girlfriend doesn't doesn't appear in Stallworth's book. Uh, that that bombing doesn't appear in the book. Uh, the 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 catching of the police officer who had racially profiled his girlfriend does, never happened. Yeah. So we get into this sort of interesting topic of like, is it acceptable when the goals are good? Uh, and I think that's an interesting conversation. Now, you know, fundamentally, just to bring it back to my, my original point, I think, <laughs> a, I think the, a lot of this film is clumsy. I think a lot of it is clunky. I think a lot of it feels um, uh, inoperable in terms of, in terms of uh, functional narrative. But when Spike Lee really gets to the heart of what he wants to say and he uses the political and, and, and against the... Uh, against the narrative when he really like finds that little thing in the narrative like like the birth of a nation to talk about the thing he really wants to talk about then it's an absolutely powerful film so i think i got it i think i got it i think i figured it out nailed it in one um no it has to do with a lot of what you just sort of said i think that the idea of sort of cleaning up the narrative and making the 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 the, the, i'll call it the middle story Mm -hmm. uh not the very beginning and not the very end uh, and really sort of not the speeches at, that are in this as well, which all of the things that I've just described are the powerful parts of the film, are the parts that are, will resonate with you if you have a soul. Um, the, the middle part and the story of, of, of infiltration and all that jazz, the Hollywoodifying of that tale is the equivalent, I think, of getting more common people it's like it's literally like having sugar with your medicine to a point and you're it doesn't it, the ending is a little bit blindsiding but if you think about it not really because they go into a lot of heavy heavy stuff just they do it with actors uh, up until the end and then it cuts to again this is where we're into spoilers but it comes into a lot of real life real horrific footage of of these things that we've discussed of, of the charlottesville rally yeah the yeah, charlottesville yeah. rally um the murder of the woman by car at the charlottesville rally yeah yeah um so if the changing of an actual narrative that might paint certain people sort of minor players in a larger cultural role slash war into a uh 
a bit of a, a nicer light to sort of get that into the Hollywood structure of good guy, bad guy mechanics mm -hmm. to get people to come to the theater, to lull them into a sense of security, into a format that they're somewhat familiar with, get the tidbits like the speeches throughout that narrative to sort of bring the point home in a calm way and then blindside them by turning on the hose and showing them the ugly truth of what this country parts of it has become. Yeah. I think it is worth I think the 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 again with my minimal historical knowledge on the situation I think the minor uh cleanup of minor characters is worth it to get more eyeballs in a more effective way on real world shit. And that's a weird thing for a, a narrative film to do. Like it just goes literally it goes full on documentary for the last 4 minutes. Yeah. And it's effective. Yeah, it is. It's, it is truly like again, he's a master craftsman. It's it's and it's funny because we can we can talk about sort of the different structural things about this film. We don't like all the live long day or how it does feel a little bit haphazard and sloppy, but it doesn't matter because no one's doing the powerful shit that he's doing at the volume and the fucking at the fucking force that he's doing it with. And it's I, I sat at the end of this movie, and I was just in sort of awe. And fucking disgust and and angry and sad uh, at sort of the state that 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 our states are now in. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I think that's a highly effective. It's it look. It's brute force effective. It's not subtle. Yeah. Uh, but he wasn't going for subtlety. I think a lot of for I think I think subtlety. Sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent, maybe. <laughs> but I think subtlety is a lot of how we got into some of this mess in the first place, or thinking about um, this particular uh, the current administration mess. I mean, not right. not not racism. That's a, <laughs> that's a different. That's a much bigger thing. Um, but just sort of like. You know, holding out hope that certain people have shreds of humanity is kind of how liberties and things for other people slip away. Right. And this is very... The end of this film, I mean, this should be shown in fucking classrooms. Right. Like... It, so, 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 again, sorry, I'll just, I'll wrap up. Yeah, yeah. Is basically... Is it good... <laughs> is it, quote, good filmmaking throughout this film? Not always on a technical level. Is it effective filmmaking, which by proxy could just overwrite it and make it good filmmaking because it's doing what Spike Lee definitely wants it to do? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I would, I, I would uh, uh, disagree with the term on technical level because it's it's Spike Lee. He's like he's one of the greatest filmmakers ever. I don't, I don't think there's a technical issue. I think there's a, I think there's a structural, structural. Sorry, not technical. Uh, I, I would even say I think it's a, it's an interest level. Like I think Spike Lee is trying to is taking this narrative and trying to wield wield it into into something he wants to talk about, and he's not always successful in doing that. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, but but like technically, it's all very it's exceptionally well made. You know. It's yes, a, I'm sorry. The technical <laughs> saying it was technically there were technical problems is no. There's stylistic problems in the editing. I have a problem with, but also there's structural problems which might be script based, which might be in the edit based. Right. Um. That that make it feel a little janky from time to time. Yeah, and I I don't disagree with that. Um. I think you know, and I think to your point, yeah, there is this sort of question of the greater good, uh, which is what uh, I would uh, take Boots Riley's um, 
uh, is a, you know, I think the, I, I don't disagree with anything Boots Riley is saying. I think, I think Boots Riley is absolutely correct to point out uh, fallacies where they exist. 100%. And he's, a, he's absolutely, you know, it's, it's like going up to a Christopher Columbus statue and standing underneath it and saying, hey, did you guys know that this guy was a murderous genocidal maniac? You know, it's, it's, it's important to have context on everything yes. that we see. And I think it's important for Boots Riley to do that. The question of like whether it escapes the, whether it, Benefits the greater good to allow the uh, subjugation of of identity as we know it for Ron Stallworth to 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 be reappropriated for the for the um, for the greater good of like examining how we sure. how we think about race today. I think that's that's a worthy question. Boots, uh, bo- I'm calling him Boots, Mister Riley. Well, you're calling you're calling Spike Spike. That's so true, yeah, um, but I could be referring to Spike Jones and just being an idiot. Um, Spike <laughs> Boots is basically saying that 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 Spike Lee's film is disingenuous. That he's actually like warping uh, a narrative, uh, a reality into a narrative truth that is just not there. Um, and he, and I think what he's saying is he would take Ron Stallworth to, to much more to task for his role in infiltrating black activist groups. Um, um, I, I think this is all fascinating to think about and, and to have the film kind of allow you to kind of jump off from and have a conversation outside of the movie. Um, I think it's important to think about this tacit acceptance of of allowing white supremacist thought in in you know your Twitter feed and and in your Facebook feed and thinking about what that means. Um, there's a there's an interesting documentary I watched on Netflix a little while ago called White Right Meeting the Enemy, which basically looks at the people that went to Charlottesville um, and and has a journalist interview them uh, before and after, and she's a journalist of color, mm-hmm. um, and she basically you know. What she finds is just by talking to people on on the alt right, they slowly just start liking her and accepting her and start yeah. and start saying, "Oh, maybe I'm kind of being a bit of a dummy on this one." Yeah. Um, and it's a really it's a really fascinating, powerful, uh, powerful piece of uh, reconciliatory filmmaking. Um, I think you know what Spike is doing, what Mr. Lee is doing, <laughs> is putting his thumb on an issue that needs to have its thumb be put on. We we are talking about white supremacists in this country in a way that makes it seem I wouldn't go so far as acceptable, but but the important point here is look at what the reference point that Spike Lee uses, which is Birth of a Nation. Yeah. Birth of the Nation is as Spike Lee sees or has experienced. Yep. Uh, a, a cultural phenomenon that is talked about and while and and highly regarded, but its cultural implications are very rarely talked talked about, and they are they are mentioned now. But I think that's what he wants to get at: is like, okay, we're at a point where we're accepting white supremacy. Why would that be? Well, let's look at what our cultural heritage is, and let's just acknowledge it for what it is. And the cultural heritage is Jesse Washington. It is um, Birth of a Nation. It is, you know, Emmett Till. This is the this is the history of America as we know it, and it is the history of America that we should be exploring and talking about when when somebody says, "Oh, maybe it's not such a bad idea to think about," you know, to have white supremacists turn up in Charlottesville. Yeah, it's like, you know what? Have a look at the actual history of America and think about that. Well, even it even I mean I hundred percent agree with everything you said. The people always forget, I think, that free speech comes. You can say what you want, but then there are consequences for the things you say. And basically, having you not be allowed to speak anywhere is not you being censored. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's it's letting everyone enjoy the same freedoms that you are saying that you are trying to uh, use and protect. There's a there's a really good, uh, and I'm hoping we have one of the speakers from this podcast on, as a guest on soon, but there's a really great podcast called The Partially Examined Life, which is something I listen to a lot, mm-hmm. philosophy podcast, and they have a really great series uh, called The Limits of Free Speech, sure. dealing with exactly this kind of issue. Yeah. And, I think, and I think Spike Lee's film speaks directly to that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I do want to talk, just really touch about uh, in terms of just... Uh, sort of more of a superficial thing. Okay. Um, but I, I, the thing I think I found more interesting was when you had, when you had actors trying to explain white supremacy as as an accepted norm. And I thought, and I thought every white actor in this film who basically had to embody white supremacists you sure. know, in front of in front of an African-American director, in front of an African-American cast, were exceptional. And the person, the, the woman I want to single out is Ashley Atkinson, mm-hmm. who uh, portrays the girlfriend of, um, of uh, I believe his name is Flip. Oh, the wife. Uh, yeah, oh, no, the, the girlfriend of... Yeah, I can't remember the... No, Flip is the is Adam, Adam Driver. Yeah, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. Of uh, She plays the wife of Felix. Yeah. Um, and she is this woman who kind of... Uh, feels embittered by the fact that she is a woman in an all boys club and she wants to prove that she is as loyal to the cause as everybody else uh, and she kind of gleefully uh, enjoys the idea that there will one day be a race war she's uh, you know she's kind of she's got this naive sort of almost childlike quality to it I think she is an extraordinary actress uh, and I think uh, her and the actor who plays Felix uh, Jasper Pakonen, yep. who's a Dutch or Swedish actress I believe yep. actor I believe just do extraordinary work in this I think there's a lot of um, people are talking a lot about Topher Grace, uh, uh, Topher Grace yep. uh, and his performance as David Duke. I think he's very, very good. But Felix and Connie, who have to like really embody what it is to be a white supremacist and and to believe in the cause 100. percent I think um, and a filmmaker who does this, who kind of like is willing to go whole hog on the other side sure. to kind of illustrate how silly it is, is someone like Lars von Trier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think you know like this film. Uh, th- that was when, when, when we were just getting into narrative stuff, that's when it really interested me. When we were sort of talking about, when, when we had act, uh, when we had scenes with actors talking directly about what it is they believe. Yeah. Um, and, and, and of course, uh, we were, to- uh, just, a uh, a, a nice throwback to have Paul Walter Hauser back in the film after we saw him in I, Tanya. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. nice to see him back. I just think those guys have a really tough job in this film. You know, because typically sure. actors are fairly liberal people, and to like embody hate uh, and spew it out sort of willingly and gleefully, I think is a very difficult thing to do, and they do it very, very well. And I and I was very interested in hearing that ideological perspective, I guess, from this sort of safe house of being in a narrative film. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think I I I really. Uh, it's weird to say I really enjoy white actors like um, d- talking about white supremacy on film, but I kind of did in this film. From an acting craft perspective, it is definitely interesting and difficult. Yeah, and, and they I, did it. They did a solid job. They they did an entirely believable job. Yeah, I, I was I was hundred percent on board. With yeah, that. there's a uh, and obviously there's a slight uncanny valley f- uh, thing with uh, with John Washington. Is it John Washington or James Washington? Uh, the Denzel Washington Jr. Um, sure. I, I, and I, I know that's that's uh, I, I don't want to like make it just about the fact that he's Denzel Washington's son, but he just his mannerisms and his style feel very much akin to Denzel Washington. So it's hard to kind of like get them out of your head. Uh, but I think he is, uh, he's an actor that, uh, that feels like with time uh, will come into his own. I actually really, 
Um, I I enjoyed him more in Ballers. I think he's he's a lot of fun in Ballers. Sure, I uh, liked him a lot in this though. He honestly, I don't know what it was. There was he and I, I he captured me for this thing, right? Uh, and he brought an already amazing sort of interesting story. Yeah, sort of um the the perfect cipher and epicenter uh to it and kept me tethered to a tale uh which again uh you know isn't always told to you entirely directly like a normal three-act film is but he was my tether and he was who i was legitimately like caring about like i i i i didn't really if we're going through like you know the cares i he was the one that i was like i cared about what happened adam driver i don't care like the chief i don't care like i don't know like um the the racist cop who gets his come up it's all the clansmen i don't care yeah um but he he kept me in it and then the end the 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 before the very end um when they you know he reveals himself to david duke and yeah. uh they have sort of the cookie cutter ending before the real ending uh i was happy to get another spike lee slide shot mm-hmm. with him and with his dolly, girlfriend yeah. dollying down the hallway yeah um yeah the, there's a lot of hate for that for that technique uh i yeah i i, I kind of it's like just it. a calling card at this point and it's the one that i love and yeah. i i um i don't it's, know it's so noticeable that it's hard to like it's hard to like watch it now without thinking about Spike Lee. It never feels organic to me. Well, the that's film. what he wants you to do. He yeah. wants you to think about Spike Lee. That's why he's doing it. Yeah. And it's it's effective. Yeah, so it is it is effective. Anyway, and, um I don't I, I guess so are we getting in? I mean I Well, so we, I think we've kind of talked our final we, thoughts, but we kind of did it. I think uh people should see Black Klansman. I think you should go to your theater and pay real money because Movie Pass won't do it for you. <laughs> uh I think um it's important that we start like I'm like I'm going to have any effects speaking into the ether, but like you know, again, I, I I said it sort of not even jokingly, but just in passing, like stuff like this should be shown in schools, right? Uh, in certain points, uh, it's I I I as I've gotten older and dealt more with history, um, it's terrifying how much it is all well, not all, but a lot of it is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's just something that when you're young you don't think about, and I think it's important. It's important to think about that as young as you can, because then we can fix problems faster. Because, like, like you even said, the the reporter that went and interviewed these uh, white uh, nationalist yeah. people, uh, it's amazing. It, it it's 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 fascinating how instantly if if they just speak to someone who is different than them for more than ten minutes in a non-combating function they'll instantly switch back to human being mode. Yeah. Like, it's like a weird hard reset. Not like instantly that's their entire thing, but like the only reason at this point that these people are like this is the rhetoric that they are in their own bubbles. Yeah. Um, Because the truth of the matter is, as much as I don't like a, like most people, most people are also pretty cool, yeah. if that makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, I'm glad I got a pass. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm glad I get a pass, as most people are pretty cool. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, uh, it's just interesting because, like, we're also tied up with our own fucking shit, right? And I, this, I'm not even, this is sort of beyond the racism conversation. This is just sort of like in a day-to-day walking around the world sort of thing. Everyone, a lot of people are tied up in their own garbage. If, if we could take five, ten minutes to sort of, like, get untangled from our shit 
and talk to one another. Yeah. <laughs> I think there'd be a lot that could get done. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I was I was I was more emotionally affected by this film than I thought I would be. Okay. Um and so I'm I apologize, dear listeners, if my points have not been as, as salient as they normally are, or if I don't know, are my points normally salient? Yeah. But take it But <laughs> um the bottom line is you should see this film, you should tell people to see this film. Uh, like Spike Lee, don't like Spike Lee. I don't think it matters. I think there's something here that is important for people to see, and there's a reason that this film has gotten as much praise and discussion. And and and, and the flip side of that, Boots Riley is 100. percent I I love that he wrote that thing. He had the the wherewithal and the and the honor and the and the steel to say, listen, this is a person that I absolutely love and respect, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without them. But I disagree with you on this point, sir. Yeah. And that is the kind of discussion that should be happening, not. Uh, you know, our cartoon president saying there are good people on both sides. Right, yeah. Uh, so There's a level of discourse that's important. Uh, yeah. Before I go out, I just want to shout out to seeing Harry Belafonte on screen uh, and giving that... I, I think, for me, the movie is a bit of a mixed bag as a movie, Yeah. but I think, obviously, the issues around the movie are important because they're within the ether that we're discussing right now. Uh, and the thing that I would really uh, impress upon you as as cool, calculated... Uh, masterful Spike Lee as there ever has been is the is the intercutting of uh, Harry Belafonte's uh, story about Jesse Washington mm-hmm. uh, with the Klan's initiation. It's something that that Spike Lee has done previously. He's talked about uh, Birth of a Nation. I think the uh, Malcolm X has uh, overt images from Birth of a Nation yes. directly in it. Um, and I think it's uh, what for all the. Uh, reservations I have about this movie, that sequence is an incredibly powerful sequence. Agreed. It's an incredibly powerful story that's not well known. Um, and, you know, absolutely devastating. And that, to me, is the thing that should be taught at schools. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, for for the multi-layers that it brings up. Um, I'm glad we did this film. Yeah, I'm gl- same. I'm, gl- I'm glad we talked about this one. I think it's an interesting... It's an interesting summer movie, you know, <laughs> a, a crowd pleaser in all the strangest ways. But I would much rather this be the summer fair that we're talking about uh, than, than, than has been in previous years. Listen, listen, I still want to see The Meg. I'm going to see it. We're probably mm-hmm. not going to talk about it. I'm going to see it. I, I'm all for talking about The Meg. All right, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but, but we got, we got. I, you know, the other thing about this podcast is there's, you know, in in with the review roundups and, uh-huh. and things like Black Klansman. There are so many movies where I'm like, okay, we need like like right now, Crazy Rich Agents. We need to talk about, we need crazy, to talk about crazy, crazy Rich Agents. We can't. We can, but we just the timing. We're, try, we're trying to get to Crazy Rich Asians, but we're also <sighs> trying to. There are a couple of other things that came out over the summer that we haven't talked about um, that I really want us to talk about. We're only two people. <laughs> yeah, that's it. In a little room <laughs> in a story of Queens. If we could have, uh, well, if we if we could become syndicated and uh, <laughs> and, and like, and we could do this every night. Oh my, God. <laughs> or oh, my God. Oh, my God. I would. Hey, if anyone wants to pay our salaries yeah. for literally just watching a movie in the morning, <laughs> writing our notes in the afternoon and, and talking our, our specific brand of intelligent bullshit in the <laughs> evening, uh, I would be all for that. You can contact us at onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com or onlymoviepod on Twitter. This has been the only podcast about the film Black Klansman, though I hope it's not, and obviously I am erroneous in that statement. <laughs> um, when have we ever been erroneous about the title of our podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I, perhaps in the poster directly behind my head. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Shahir, when you are not um, 
refusing to take a racist lie detector test <laughs> and not whip out your genitalia where can folks find you well uh i'm i'm always no i was about to say i'm always willing to whip out my genitalia but i was like that is one of those things that's going to come back to haunt me in some way uh regardless if you think that would be interesting uh that's s-h-i-h-i-r-d-a-u-d matt when you are not leading me down naked rabbit holes with my penis hanging out where can people find you <laughs> you can't <laughs> down this rabbit hole I how just, did we get I'm here i'm sorry i needed i needed this laughter after this episode uh you can find me uh uh leading yet not looking uh because i'm respectful at m-a-t-t-h-e-w-k-r-l.com for my life and works or skeletor the number four p-r-e-z on instagram or emperor msk on twitter also please check out extra credits this week I, i'm trying to think of what will be airing this week when you hear this stuff but i bet you there'll be a new extra history starting about the uh uh, about the Strait of Malacca and the uh, history of Majapahit, which is uh, some crazy interesting stuff. Again, a- a- another lesson in history is written by those who win. And there's only certain texts about this sort of time and people, etc., that exist. And it's very interesting to sort of try to figure out fact from fiction. Uh, our, our writer for that series, um, Robert Rath, also the most badass <laughs> fucking name on the planet. Yeah. Definitely a superhero. Um, he's he's so he's a fucking fact machine, and uh, he is great. Follow him on Twitter. I, I think it's Rob Wright's Pulp. Uh, he, if you want like daily doses of truth in your history, uh, could follow him up. Anyway, uh, we will be back next week with something. Maybe it's the Meg. Maybe it's Crazy Rich Asians. Maybe it's. Padding, not Paddington. Uh, oh, we should do Paddington, by the way. We See, should I do wish, Paddington. We should have done Paddington. That's, that's uh, the summer we, sh- we, we should have done uh, Christopher Robin. Yes, we should have done Christopher uh, Robin. Uh, we should that have done. That would make a great double feature. Yeah, I know. Well, we don't have the time, Shahir. We're not taking requests, by the way. So don't email us <laughs> in with any of your requests. Not we will. Listening. We will eventually. Anyway, we uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk at you next week. Talking <laughs> at you. For all the important <laughs> stuff we said this podcast, we just derailed at the end. <laughs> talking. 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 Talk at you talking next talk. Bye. It's too late.